0: Hi, my name is Anna Marcoline. I'm a psychotherapist and life coach who's been practicing for 25 years. This podcast is my way of continuing to pay it forward. I am here with you as a therapist and life coach, but I'm also coming to you as a wife, mother, daughter, sister, and a friend. I'm here with you and I want you to know that you're not alone. Welcome. Hey, everyone. Welcome to episode number 154 of the podcast. How are you all doing this week? Hopefully you're uh, having an okay week, if not a great week. And um, if it's not a good one, hope that doesn't last too long. So today it's Tim and I talking about why do we have sometimes, or a lot of times, feelings of unworthiness of not being enough. This is something that comes up quite frequently in my sessions with clients. And I wanted to talk about it today because I think it's timely with, unfortunately, the passing of Matthew Perry, one of our favorite characters from the sitcom, uh, hit sitcom Friends, and his memoir, uh, May He Rest in Peace, God Rest His Soul, his memoir, and talking very openly and candidly, or writing candidly about his feelings of unworthiness and social comparison and how difficult that must have been for him over the years. So I thought, you know what? What a better time than to talk about uh, this issue I think is big for a lot of people. And um, so here we go. We're going to talk about some of the reasons why you, if you feel this, some of the reasons why you may feel this way. Okay.
1: I like it already. This Should yeah. be a good one.
0: I think that this is something that is so, so common. Like I had just said, it's not something that you're in the general public. You know, you're going to know by talking to an acquaintance, a friend, even someone that you would perceive that you're close to. It's, these are very deep and highly private thoughts and feelings that many of us have about ourselves from time to time or quite a bit of the time. And I think that in order to do this work, sometimes it does help to really understand where it might come from for each of us. You know, where is this coming from? Why do I feel this way? Why do I keep keep dealing with these thoughts of I'm not worthy, I'm not worthy enough, I'm not worthy, like they're worthy. You know, so much of the time we put ourselves down, but we would never think that way about another person. We wouldn't say that they're unworthy or that they're less than, but we feel that we're not enough. And there are reasons for why this could have, you know, be happening for you. And so we're going to get into it.
1: I, I mean, it, I have a feeling we will get into the details. So a qu- couple questions, and you can just say, we'll get to that later. But um, so in terms of where it comes from, there's probably several places this could come from. It could come from your upbringing, right? Maybe you still have some memories of how you were raised as a kid or a teenager. Right. Um. Maybe just past experience is a failure. And, and so then those things kind of linger. Um, maybe it's anxiety about something that's coming up. Or you know, maybe you're doing a rewind on something where you've gone through this once or twice before. And, yeah. you, and it didn't go so well for you. And you have vivid memories of that. And, and it makes you very anxious. I mean, it's probably all of those things we're going to get into. It,
0: it can be all of them for some people it can be one or two of those. So that was, that was good, Tim. Wow. You're, you're like becoming a good armchair therapist coach there. (laughs) I like that. Wow. Yeah. You're right though. I mean, I think that, so number one, where these feelings of not being enough or not being worthy enough can come from early attachment and early life experiences. So, you know, our early childhood experiences, especially those that involve caregivers can significantly and do significantly impact our sense of self-worth. So that's what attachment theory is all about. Many of you who are listening know about attachment theory. It's become much more, um, in, I'm quoting air quotes, in vogue in the past several years. But attachment theory has been around for a long time. When I was in graduate school, we learned about attachment disorders. I don't think they're calling them disorders anymore, but attachment theory has been around a long time, and there's uh, a lot of legitimacy and and weight to it. So uh, there's a very good book. I had somebody on uh, a couple of years ago, Jeremy Fox, talking about, uh, he talked about attachment disorders, and there's a very well-known book out there. It's called Attached, and I don't have the author. I'm looking for the book as we're speaking right now. I don't have the author's name in front of me. Um, but if you're interested in, in, doing a deep dive into attachment, attachment theory and your own attachment, uh, you can Google it, read about attachment online or better yet, pick up the book called attached. Um, so attachment theory suggests that individuals who grew up with secure, secure attachments, namely to their primary caregiver, their mother, their father, their, you know, their two moms or two dads, or maybe a grandparent or aunt or uncle, it doesn't matter who it was, but they had a primary caregiver. That those people who were who were positively attached got all the good stuff, um, as far as how they were esteemed by others. That grows us up into having a positive view of ourselves, and those who, in contrast, did not have that. So we call that insecure attachment. They can. Now I say they can. Not everybody does, but they can develop core beliefs that they're just not good enough if they the people didn't mirror back to them your mom didn't mirror back to you that you were just unconditionally at your core a wonderful lovely person you did not receive that as a child that can develop for you into feelings of just not being enough because your needs were not being consistently met or your needs were not acknowledged so that's really important, and that that's the deep work that many people have to do, going back to early childhood and going back to uh, their early life experiences and looking at attachment. So for you, the listener, to think about that for yourself, if you're struggling with feelings of unworthiness and feelings of, I'm just not enough, I'm just not enough, go back to your early childhood years, look back there, and spend some time kind of walking around, mulling around in there and get help. For this, you need to help with a psychotherapist to do that work. Okay. Many times we need someone else to help us, uh, you know, as we're kind of walking around in the basement of our lives.
1: So let me tell you a quick story. Sure. Did I just, just by dumb luck this, I listened to this this morning. So, you know, Rich Eisen. Yeah. He, so he, he's got a podcast. He was on ESPN for years, blah, blah, blah. Okay.
0: So I was going to say, tell people who he is. He, Football people know who Rich Eisen. Yeah,
1: is. he's a broadcaster. He's got a, a well-known podcast right now. He talks to a lot of different folks in that world—coaches, owners, players, whatever, trainers. So he was given um, the job of uh, announcing the Dolphins game over in Frankfurt last Sunday. This past weekend, yeah. Right. And so, fast-forwarded to after the game, game's over. They're doing. A, um, I'm sorry it was before the game, they were doing um, a session with the coach of the Dolphins who's got a checkered past, right? Lots of stuff well, we can go on and on about. What's his name? Mike McDaniel. Yeah. So when McDaniel was like...
0: He a, has a cool past, actually. I didn't know his backstory until it's something a couple of weeks ago. He really has dealt with alcoholism, a substance use disorder. Yeah. 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 And he's in recovery. He's sober. You yeah. Look at him now. Yeah. Yeah.
1: So they had him in a room. There were maybe like six or seven... Uh, people. That's all they allowed in there. And they were doing this deep dive with him, talking about the team and breaking down things. This is pregame so that they could get some knowledge into his head so they could share some of that stuff on the broadcast. Sure. So anyway, he started talking about, like, he's a single child. He's an only child, right, McDaniel. And he was talking about how his mom, like, Built him up, built him up, positive, positive, positive for years. And it's mm. just it stuck with him even today. And it was in the context of the Dolphins quarterback who has gotten beaten down in the media for years for you Tua? could Yeah, you yeah. could argue for no apparent reason other than it just was fun to do, right? By some folks. And how is it that McDaniel was able to come in and be that pillar, that strong pillar for him? And it was all because of how McDaniel was raised as a little kid. And now he's such a giver. Uh, Rich Eisen was talking about they were all listening to the story and they and First of all, McDaniel's bawling while he's ta- while he's talking, Aww. and then like every like like even like um what's his name? Eisen was like he's like we all had tears in our eyes and like like could barely because no coach talks like that. No no co- coach talks about like I love my guy, like I love my players, and he's vested in the person. It's more about what can I get from that person? You and know where
0: that came from is his relationship to his mother. That's that's and that's the, a and, tie-in right and there. Most likely. Yep. No, we don't know because we're not his therapist, but most likely the secure attachment that he developed that he has with his mother that she developed in him.
1: Yes. Yeah. And now he's like, it's so, it's so, so what he he's about. Yeah. He just gives it back. He you can know? easily
0: give it back to his players yeah. and show them love and build them up and, and coach them and coach them and, and be critical when he needs to, but coach them up and the way that they need to be coached up because of what was given to him. He has the foundations of self-esteem and character that were developed probably from the moment he was born to three years old zero to three are the most important developmental years of our entire lives zero to three it's personality formation it's character formation Um, now there's a genetic piece to that and that's we could go off on a tangent with that but zero to three are the most important years of all of our human beings lives and so that's a great, yeah, that's a great it's, testament to it. Yeah,
1: you know, it's funny because they said that he said, like, I've known since I was four that I wanted to be a coach in the NFL. Wow. Like he would like outwardly said that. And there was another person that was in on this that I forget her name. She's been in the uh, broadcasting for the WNBA. She's like, she goes, I've had so many coaches and I've talked to so many coaches in my role now, now that I'm not no longer a player. She's like, no one has ever, I've never heard a coach take, come at it from that angle she's like if i had a coach like that she goes i'd run through a brick wall for that guy oh wow yeah it's crazy Very i was like cool. whoa that, well, was that was cool a great but it all comes back to like how, what the positive the build-up and the experience those life experiences from yeah the time when he was little with his mom
0: yeah that's great i yeah. didn't know you were gonna talk about that that's a great example wow Okay. So there you go. So that's really about attachment and where that possibly could come from for you. If this is something that you're dealing with feelings of unworthiness, do the deep dive, go back. It is work. I know that it can feel, these feelings of unworthiness can feel absolute. It can feel like it's always going to stay this way. It's always going to be this way. And I want to remind you that it's a feeling. It's just a feeling. And I don't mean to minimize one's feelings and it is just a feeling. Feelings do come and go. You will not always feel this way if this is something you're struggling with. You do got to do the deep dive into uncovering what this is about for you. Okay. So attachment issues is one piece of it. Another piece of this is that you may have cognitive biases and this can be you know, part of how you grew up for me, I know it was, it can be a little bit of your wiring. So we won't got, you know, uh, suss out, you know, how much it is, you know, uh, just one's, um, wiring as far as, uh, their genetics and how they're, how they are born. Uh, because I think DNA does play a, a role here, but for many of us, it is what we heard growing up. So cognitive biases. So, you know, many of us look at the world through our cognitive distortions and cognitive dist- distortions are looking at the world through like black and white thinking. It's either, you know, no, the situation's either all black or all white. It's black or white. There's no gray. There's no gray. I mean, I grew up with a lot of that with the way that I was raised. So, you know, I just, I didn't know it to be any different. So why view the world in many different ways. I viewed situations, I viewed I'd in, in, viewed politics, I viewed religion through the lens of it being black or white. And it wasn't until probably, you know, I'm not proud to say this, probably wasn't until my later 20s that when I learned about cognitive behavioral therapy and cognitive distortions, that I started to really look at the way that I thought and I challenged the way that I thought. And that was so, so very liberating because I realized that, oh my gosh, I am a black and white thinker. I never knew there was even a phrase. I never even knew that there was a term for this, for the way I think. And that was when I started to learn to think differently, to learn to think in the gray. I mean, that was like mind blowing for me. So I think that, you know, we all have these cognitive, well, I know that we all have cognitive biases And this episode is for you to start to really explore what are they for yourself. Uh, Some people are catastrophizers. I mean, another thought distortion is catastrophizing. You may be just cognitively biased towards catastrophizing. Catastrophizing is like a chicken little, oh my God, the sky is falling. The sky is falling. Oh my God. Oh my God. Oh my God. You know, it's just, it's one catastrophe after another. That's not about judgment. Don't judge yourself with that. That might be what you saw. You may have had a mother who, or a father, or a, uh, I don't know, an older sibling who catastrophized a lot, an older sibling who really has had an impact on your life, maybe for the positive and maybe not so great and that they catastrophize the world was coming to an end because they had an exam they did study for. And oh my God, I'm going to fail. I'm going to fail. And oh, everything is lost. left to the last minute. Um, it's all like, oh my gosh, and it can, that can create a lot of chaos and disruption in the family. So, you know, you may just have grown up around a lot of, uh, catastrophizing, heard a lot of it. You know, you're a kid, you're a sponge. You don't know any different. You just, that's how, that's how the world works. That's how the world operates. Let's take a break from the episode to talk about my partnership with AG1, the daily foundational nutrition supplement that supports whole body health. I drink it literally every day. I gave AG1 a try because I was so tired of taking supplements and wanted a single solution that supports my entire body and covers my nutritional bases every day. I really was looking for better gut health, a boost in energy, immune system support, and I hated, like I said, taking those darn pills. And I really was looking for a supplement that tasted great, something I wanted to drink every morning. So now what do I do? I take it every morning before I start my coffee and my workout, and it makes me feel unstoppable. Like I'm ready to take on the day, and I know that I'm doing something good for my body. In this time in our lives where it seems like viruses are 12 months out of the year, this is the best thing that you can do for your body. AG1 will replace your multivitamin, your probiotic, and more in one simple drinkable habit. If you want to take ownership of your health, try AG1 and get a free one-year supply of vitamin D and five free AG1 travel packs of your first purchase. Go to drinkag1.com Anna. That's drinkag1.com Anna Check it out now; you will not regret it. Okay, so think about that. These are just examples, and there's more here. Um, I, I think you just
1: answered my question, but just just to clarify, because somebody else might have the same question. So it it's not necessarily that those experiences were yours. It, it could have been a you watched it happen to somebody else in your family, right? It's it's not like everything that was negative or distraught was like it's something that you actually live through yourself it, it could be that you watched it from a couple steps back and it also influenced you big time
0: and that becomes your viewpoint of this is how the world exists okay. this is how the world works and how it runs and okay this is how it is so we just blindly accept it especially as little kids right sure yeah. um another cognitive bias that one might have is i see this a lot overgeneralizing. You know, you really just overgeneralize situations. Like one thing happened in your life and now you're overgeneralizing to all situations in your life. And that really can lead somebody to feelings of being inadequate. I mean, all of this can, you know, black and white thinking, catastrophizing, overgeneralizing. You can just feel like you are less than. If you're overgeneralizing one negative situation, like you say to me, Okay. You know, I've, I've heard you say, don't paint a broad brush stroke.
1: I was just going to bring that up. Don't paint with a broad brush, broad right? Broad brush stroke, Like right. it's not right. everybody, every time in this particular session it's, for all people. It's overgeneralizing yeah, and it's yeah. black and white
0: thinking. Yeah. Because see, that's a really good example. So I've done a ton of work on this over the many years. I don't do it that much anymore. It doesn't mean that I never do it. Sometimes I do default back to doing... I will overgeneralize, especially if I'm upset, I'll catastrophize. I'll do all of these things actually, you know, and I have to rein myself in. Sometimes, you know, you'll hear it and you'll rein me in cause you know about these now and you're like, okay. And that's what you say to me. And I don't paint a broad brushstroke about your life or your, you know, a situation just because that happened. I'm like, okay, right. It, it reins me in. And that's what we do as, that's what I do as a therapist for people. I do that as a coach for people. Um, I, I help to rein them in, you know, I remind them of, okay, look what's happening right here. So that, but that can really contribute to, you know, one feeling just totally inadequate. I mean, it, it leads us to, like we just said, just to draw these really broad negative conclusions about ourselves from, from specific events. So really work on that. Okay. Remember that that was one specific event. Don't paint a broad brushstroke. Okay. That'll... So that's one of the reasons why we, that can, I think it continues to contribute to a pouring into the bucket of I'm unworthy or I'm not good enough. Another one, uh, this is a big reason. Another reason why today I didn't see this so much 20, 30 years ago today we have feelings of unworthiness or not being enough is a social comparison. So social comparison is a process where, you know, people determine their own social and personal worth based on how they stack up against others. This is social comparison theory. And wow, do we see it all the time now? I'm, we're seeing it in nine and 10 year old little girls and boys. We're seeing them in fourth and fifth grade. This is happening. We're seeing it in with the tweens. I hear about this all the time time, just had a, converse, a couple conversations last week with people about this very issue in their children, in their tween, uh, boys and girls. This is a big one. And it's a tough one because especially as a parent, you don't know what to do when your son or daughter comes home from school in the sixth grade and they're just in a bad mood. If you can get to them and you can get them to talk what often times we're hearing about is they are comparing themselves to their peers. They're not as good at basketball. They didn't make club. They didn't make, uh, you know, or, or, hockey. Um, they're not, they don't have the cool clothes, you know, maybe, you know, why don't we have the money? Why can't I wear all the, whatever the trending clothes are now? Why can't I wear all that? They all have that, you know, why don't we, you know, take these grand vacations, um, there's a lot of that. And and if it's not about money and it's not about socioeconomics, you know, and I'm telling you, it starts younger now than we've seen it, you know, eight, nine, 10 years old, but I'm seeing it now in people in their forties, fifties, and sixties, um, there I'm seeing it with them on TikTok and Instagram comparing themselves maybe to their academics, their knowledge. There's a lot of social comparison going on um we're looking at how we stack up against others in this digital age with the prevalence of you know social media being the way it is we often idealize others and we exacerbate our own insecurities so i'll say that again we often idealize others that we see on instagram on tiktok maybe on facebook wherever it is Maybe some of you, maybe it's Snapchat. We idealize them. We idealize their lives. We idealize everything about them. At the same time, we exacerbate our own feelings of being insufficient or less than. And that's really, really important to get your mind around that and to do some work on that. Because all is not as it seems. The emperor does not have new clothes. And remember what you are seeing. Now, it's changing a little bit, I think, with Instagram and TikTok especially. But what you are seeing is 95 to 99% of the time, not how people are living their lives. I'm telling you, I mean, I just see this over and over and over again. Very little now I'm starting to see, which is a positive change. People are showing up in their houses and their places are not these beautiful architectural digest homes. They don't have gorgeous brand new kitchens. Um, You can see stuff in the back is kind of a mess. It's like, okay, people are getting a little bit more real. But I think we have a lot further to go. I don't think social media in the digital age is going anywhere. It's just continuing on a massive fast forward. Who knows what's going to be like in five or ten years? Um, I have an idea. Um, we're going to have robots in the background doing our cooking our dinner for us, actually. <laughs> but, I mean, it's not going away. So I think that that's something that's really, really important for everybody to really get a handle on. And if you, you need help with it, get help with it. Because this is a big one. People were just comparing. We call it comparing and despairing. Compare and despair. You compare yourself to someone else and you despair about your own life when really you have no idea about that person's life. And even if it's somebody you're seeing in real life, maybe in class, maybe in grade school, high school, college, somebody you see at work, you still have no idea about their lives because we show you what we want you to see. Okay. So that's really important. And that really is leading to people feeling unworthy. And it's not fair to you. It's not fair to you to do that to yourself, to compare yourself in despair. You, you know, you don't deserve that as a person. You don't deserve that. I don't care what you've done. You don't deserve it. All right. that That's really important. Yeah. It, uh, just a
1: couple things about that. So, I mean, the whole social media, I mean, that's a, that's a, Years worth of episodes just by itself, yeah. right uh, um I but one thing to say about it though, the baseline, not every time, but it feels like much of the time for that whole social media world is one upping, right like like I wanna be the first one that gets that story i yeah. want I wanna be the first one that gets to that person to tell their story. I wanna be the person that gets that best picture or captures that one and only video of this one thing that happened. You know what I mean? And so the baseline of it then from that mindset just gets more and more compounded as you add and add and add to it to support your theory of like you and I and anybody else is just a normal person. We look at all of these things and we're like, man, like I got nothing to say compared to this and this and this and this, right? Yeah. It's just, it's it feels like it's like you're like starting from a point of a deficit to begin with.
0: Well, I have felt that way. I mean, I'll... I have felt that way. I I mean, that's what I'm saying. I mean, I've done it. I did it. I had not done it really. And this is a God honest truth. I had not really done it until COVID, until I came home from my office, which was a brick and mortar space that I had for 20 years and came home to my office and we had more time on our hands. You know, when you're not... Getting sh- well, you're getting. I was getting showered and putting makeup on for my Zoom calls. Every single one of my clients was online now, so you know I wasn't running to my car, getting in my car with my commute to work. Right, and I wasn't. Basically, everybody's wearing sweatpants. I was wearing sweatpants or leggings on the bottom. It didn't, you know, and bare feet. You know, they're just. I had more time on my hands. That's what I'm trying to say. And I got on social media. I joined Clubhouse. Clubhouse was an- is a great thing, but in some ways that app that was very popular during um, COVID, which was really basically people being on stages on the app and you're listening to people talking. And I was in a funk because my father was very ill during COVID and then died. And there was a really difficult time in my life, grieving. And I just, I felt weak on the inside. I felt weak. I felt down, I I was, I just, I don't know how to explain it, but I just didn't have my normal kind of sassy, smart-alecky personality, you know, I, I, I wasn't, didn't, wasn't interested in seeing the humor and things, and was struggling, and then I got on that app, and there were all these life coaches on there, therapists. And I started comparing myself to them and I started comparing myself to how much they know, how much do I know? They know more than me. It was, it was really crazy. It was a craziness. And part of me knew that I was, come on, like, what are you, what are you doing, Anna? Like, stop, you know, you're comparing and despairing. And that was, that was a difficult time. So I'm here to say that, I mean, as a, as a human person, you know, I'm a human being, not a human doing. Um, that was hard, you know, and so I went down this rabbit hole comparing myself to others and, um, not a good thing. And what I found that I had to do with that was I had to get off social media. I had to get off that app because it really was not, I made some good relationships. People I'm still connected with today, but for the most part, everybody was vying for attention. Everybody really was vying to get business their way through this, uh, the digital, application space because nobody was out in the real, you know, no one was out in the world front facing networking anymore. So it was like a killer be killed sort of attitude on there. And that was not good for my energy. So I did uh, do want to talk about that a little bit because I think that that's something that if that affects me at my age and I'm in my fifties, I totally get why other people are affected about whatever it is, what you look like, what your hair is like, what your body looks like, you know, how fit you are, how fit you're not whatever it is that we tell ourselves i mean this is all can lead to feelings of unworthiness and not being enough so i know i totally went off on a tangent but you got me thinking no it's about
1: it's that. a good one because i think you brought up a good, another good point in that at the end of the day if you know that you're so influenced by this stuff at the end of the day we control how much exposure we allow ourselves to have to right. any right. social media outlet it's still in our hands Right? right? It's our phone, it's our tablet, it's our laptop, it's whatever it is. And we turn it on and we go to those sites and we spend time looking at that. You stuff. know,
0: there is, there are classes. Um, there was that social media movie that came out on Netflix that, forget the guy, he was the ethics guy. He questioned the ethics at Google and he talked about the class, I think is at Stanford, the class at Stanford that really, that teaches people the psychology of what keeps us addicted to our phones and what keeps us a- addicted to social media and that there are classes teaching people in tech how to keep us addicted, how to continue to get us. That was to, a good, that was really good. It was a great, uh, great. <laughs> it was a kind of a, like a documentary. Yeah. I forget the guy's name. Right? And uh, you know how they can continue to allow us to have hits of dopamine. Like, going after the dopamine in our brains to keep us attached, to keep us more than attached, dependent, and addicted to our phones. So, you know, that was not a good time for me because I was grieving the loss of my father and I felt very weak and vulnerable. And that for some reason, all this sort of like not so much unworthiness, but like, I don't know enough. I don't know enough came up for me. And my business coach was like, oh my gosh, this is crazy. You need to, you know, and I, I told her and I'm glad I told her, she's like, you need to, you need to stop. You need to get off there. And that was the best thing for me that I could have done. And I look back now and I look back at that time in 2020. And I think, you know, that doesn't feel like me. And it was me. It does because I'm not in that headspace. I had not been in that headspace ever as a professional ever. Maybe other parts of my life, but not as a professional. I'd always actually, I'll toot my own horn here. I'd always been told by my bosses, by my supervisors, by colleagues, there may be other things about me. But one thing no one ever said to me was that, you know, you don't have good clinical skills. I've always been built up for my clinical skills. It always been built up and always known I was a fantastic therapist and coach. It just was something that I think is God-given. I think that God gave me this gift of being able to understand and under, and, and, and know and understand the psychology of people. And I've been given the gift of empathy. And I truly feel that it is a gift. And that was the first time in my life that I started to question myself as a professional. That was not good for me. So take vulnerability, take a loss, take grief, take a clinical depression, take a bad anxiety. And you couple that with social media Wow, that is a cocktail of not good stuff. So I'm here to tell you all that I went through it. So if if you're dealing with anything as far as anxiety, depression, you know, you're dealing with this unworthiness, really limit your time on social media. Really, please limit your time on social media. But I want to go back to what you had first said, though. I mean, with social media, there are times when, well, I have compared. Like I said, I don't do it as much. But I think that there's something to not always having something to say. Like I don't always have something to say. Sometimes I'm my brain is tired. I feel like it's been said before, or I know it's been said before. And I, and I just don't want to throw my name in the hat. And I don't want to add to it. Um, I see people on TikTok. I'm like, well, she said that really well. I don't need to add to this. You know, I was going to maybe do a TikTok on that, but that was really good. I don't need to add to it. I don't need... I love to be collaborative. I don't need to compete with that, you know, and, and my mind is empty. And I think that there are times when we need to get off social media. We need to get out of the social comparison, uh, piece of our lives. We don't need to do anything. We are really, really good, perfect in our imperfections, just the way we are. So that's really important. It, it, yeah,
1: that's like that's like the person and you and I've seen this. I'm sure everybody's seen this. Like that always has to have the last dig or the last the comment, right? Like the need to like be that person. Oh,
0: the need to be the smartest person in the room. Yeah, like stop. But that's really about them. You know that, Tim. I mean, yeah. That's yeah, really yeah. about them and their insecurities actually coming out. Yeah. When you need to be the smartest person in the room and you need to one up others, it's an immaturity. But more than that, it's an insecurity, because when you know that you don't know anything, and that's the more you read, the more knowledge you get. What I find, I think we have talked about this, is I'm I'm actually more humbled, and realized, geez, I don't know anything. Like I thought I knew something, I know nothing, and I need to continue to be taught. You know, I, I we I, I, we continue to be curious about others, and. I think we're, we continue to be curious about learning more. Teach me, teach me, because I don't know.
1: And that's a great point because you can think of it that way. Like, oh my gosh, I'm, I do need to learn more or you can go, you can turn the other direction and you can say, I'm not worthy. I don't know enough. Like I'm not as good. I'm not, I'm not right. Like you could make that conscious choice too. And that takes you right to where exactly what we're talking about today. Right. You know?
0: Well, that's why it it for each of you, it's nuanced and there's a balance in there. It's, yeah. it's nuanced for each person that if you're feeling these feelings and you're having these thoughts, really take some time to look at them. You know, if you can do it on your own, that's wonderful. If you need help, get help with it. Because what what that leads me into my next uh, thought about this whole uh thoughts about I'm unworthy or I'm not good enough is for many of us, we feel this way because we really have bought into that. We need to be perfect. That perfectionism is something to strive for. And no, that's not how it is. You do it imperfectly. It's imperfection is the key. There's no perfection. Not one of you, not, not one. Tim is not, I am not, not one of you is perfect in any way. You're not perfect. There's no perfection here on this earth. And so you do it imperfectly. And I think that, you know, what I know is that people set these unrealistically high standards for themselves and when they fail to meet these standards, because they will at some point, you will fail to meet those high, unrealistically set high standards for yourself. Then what it does is, you know, it reinforces the belief that you're inadequate, but why are you trying to be perfect? Why are you trying to be perfect? So think about that for yourself and see if you can answer that question. While you're striving to get up onto that perfect pedestal, what's going to happen is you're not going to get there because you're not perfect and you go, "See? This is why I'm inadequate. See? I'm unworthy. I'm not enough." You got to stop trying to climb up that pedestal to 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 be the, you know, the perfect trophy. No.
1: I so I think with this one I think of times at work where you're setting goals, right? You're setting goals for maybe for your year or you're setting goals for a particular program or event or something like that. And it, and it, it reminds me not to always set these goals that are always like, completely measurable by statistics right right set a couple goals that are, are a little bit and we'll go with the broader brush term where it's more like how do you how does everybody feel about how this thing turned out how does your customer or the patrons that came to this event how did they feel what was their take on it which can be mixed but if overall the the feeling was oh that was really good, then all of a sudden you've like you can check that box for yourself, right? Versus like well no we have to have seven hundred people there and we have to make six thousand five hundred sixty dollars on this, right? Like it's like those are good, but like you're not always gonna win with those. And then if you if you fall on your sword and die by that.
0: There you go. How does that feel? It just set up for disappointment. Yeah. And resentment. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's a setup to, to really just get self-critical. You can really get down on yourself.
1: And it's lingering.
0: It because ling- then like it's the hang- next, the yes. next
1: time you're like, well, remember last time we yeah. did this and we didn't get this or this or this. And it's like, Oh, and it's like you come from a point of negativity versus like learning from maybe something that didn't quite go your way. And being like, ooh, I'm gonna take the best I can from that, and I'm gonna I'm gonna execute it next time. Yeah, right?
0: I mean, we could certainly talk about ways to deal with this. Maybe that's something. Maybe we'll do as part two on this yeah. of ways to deal with feelings of unworthiness and uh, not being good enough. Because there are, um, I'll I'll share with you what I will tell what I will tell clients and how I work with clients. Um, but maybe that'll be a part two. Uh, and finally, one of the reasons why we may have feelings of unworthiness or not being good enough is just really today's cultural narratives. So there's a theme here. If you the listener, you're probably hearing the theme about social media, cultural narratives about that has set, been set before us, especially in North America and in Western Europe, or actually I should say Europe and even in the East about what success looks like, what beauty looks like what wealth looks like. Now it is different culturally, depending on where you are in the world. But I think for the most part, we, this, this world through social media, through being able through air travel, uh, this is like the, the globe has gotten a lot smaller and we all see the great athletes, the world over. We all see these great athletes who are so successful and are just dripping in, in, you know, Looks like dollar bills, right, or or the euro, whatever it is. You're just dripping in money, and they're dripping in cars, and they're dripping in beauty, they're dripping in clothing, they're they're dripping in wealth of their homes. You know, we have these expectations about that. That's what happiness is. You know, that happiness means having all of these material items. Um, If you have all those things, then maybe you're enough. And so I got to get to that. I got to get to that level. So maybe you're not going to be a professional athlete, but maybe for me in my line of work, I want to be at the top and I got to be perfect getting there. And once I get there, then I'll be enough. Then it'll be enough. You know, I want to make this discovery. I want to get on this team. I want to get that job. I want to be the CEO of this company. You know, I want to be the C part of the C-suite. I want to be it. Now I'm at the C-suite. Now I want to get to a certain level in the C-suite. Whatever it may be, I want to make this amount of money. I want, you know, the second, third home. Then I will be enough. What you're doing is you're comparing and yourself to maybe a figment of your imagination of of being perfect and what you thought what it would take for you to take care of that still, small, insecure, unworthy voice deep, deep inside of you. And then you get there and you've achieved all those things and it's still not enough. I cannot tell you the conversations I have had with clients over the past 25 years about this. I happen to have been and am very privileged to have my office in the North Shore of Chicago. So I've seen and see high net worth individuals and I know this to be true. Anecdotal evidence (laughs) If you could be a fly on the wall in my office, I know this to be true. You reaped all the things and it's like, why am I not happy? And I still feel like I'm not enough. I'm still unworthy because it has nothing to do with material items. Constant exposure to all of this. We have these unattainable standards and we feel like, especially if we feel like we can't achieve it or we haven't achieved it, then we're a failure or failure. I have failed because I have not achieved. And those who do achieve, they feel like it's still not enough. Either way, it still be- behooves all of us who feel this way to do work on this. Do that deep dive into why do I feel unworthy? It's such important deep deep work, you know, and and, and it takes work. And one final thing I'll say about this is And I tell, especially I tell coaching clients when they sign up to work with me, I'm looking for when we do discovery calls, I'm looking for the right fit. I want to make sure I'm the right fit for my client, potential client. And that, you know, so vice versa, like they want, they are willing to want to to work with me. They want to, they want to do some work. They think that, you know, she can really help me. They know I can help them. And I know that I can work with them. And really the only thing that stands in the way of that is people who are not willing to do the work. If you want to get better, you got to work in therapy. If you want to get better, if you want more happiness, if you want to move out of these feelings of unworthiness, you got to do work in coaching. You got to let me coach you. Let me take my expertise and help you. But you got to do the work. Just like for those, when you learn to play the piano, how many times a week did you have to practice playing the piano? You had your, you had your lessons. Then you had to practice every day. I had to practice every day, like Monday through Friday for 30 minutes a day after school, learning how to play the piano. You want to be a better runner. You got to get out there and you got to run. You you don't you know it's not balls to the wall in the beginning, but it's a jog walk, jog walk, and it's three days a week, and then it's four days a week, and then you're jogging a mile, then you're walking for ten seconds or twenty seconds, and then you're jogging another mile, whatever it may be. It's practice, it's work. If you want to get to that five k, that and you want you're on the couch right now and you're couch to five k, you know this Tim. This is how you start. You start out slow, but you've got to do the work. Keep moving forward, yeah, and right? I think that this is the most important part of our lives is our mental game and our psychological game and and feeling content and at peace with ourselves, but so many of us are walking around with these feelings that are deep inside of us, and you gotta do the work, you can get there, and I promise you'll get there, you gotta do the work, okay, so that that's you know, that's really important. And let's end here and we'll, let's do a part two, because I have a lot to say about what are some things that you all could do to move yourself into the direction of feeling more worthy. Okay. I'm going to share with you what I talk to my clients about. Um, and so for part two, get out your notebook, listen to it. And then if you're walking your dog or you're doing housework or you're driving and then come back and listen to it again in part two, take notes because I'm going to give you some, some good stuff. Okay. All right, everyone. I hope that this was helpful and, um, we'll see you next time. Mad love. Please don't forget to subscribe to this podcast. If you haven't already rate it five stars, review it. That makes all the difference in the world and helping new people find us. Okay. And if you want to work with me, reach out to me. Okay. Hello at annamarkalene.com. Send me an email, let me know what you're looking for, and let's get on a call together and see if I'd be a good fit for you. Or go to my website, annamarkalene.com, check me out there, and you can email me from there. All right, have a good week, everyone.